Greetings and welcome to Stamper Cinema. As always, thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast. I am your host. My name is Andrew. With me, as always, whenever we're doing one of these wonderful Star Wars episodes, is my my beautiful co-host, Mr. John Rowe. How's it going, buddy? How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks, man. That was a nice compliment. The way I see it, you're you're kind of the looks of the operation, right? I mean, you know, and the brain. So I, I guess I, I don't know what my my function is here. Then you you've got you kind of got everything on lockdown. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I I disagree. I disagree completely, man. I definitely you're the brains, no doubt. So, anyways, I think you're. Um, I think you're being humble. Oh well, thank you. Well, again, John, thank you very much for 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 uh, helping me out. I am. What is this emotion? Is it relief? I think it might be relief. We are done with all the films leading into the Star Wars saga. We are here. We have made it. We have done our homework, as as John said a few episodes ago and repeated it and I repeated it. This is it. We are now at the actual Star Wars how do you feel? Are you ready? Do you are you ready to take on this assignment? Yes. Yeah, I'm extremely <laughs> excited. You left me uh, anxiously awaiting. Like, wait, yeah. is he gonna? What, what is he gonna say? Is he gonna be like, huh, eh, man? Uh, no, no. I'm I'm really excited. It's just such a. I guess in a way, I want to. I don't know how great this thing's gonna go, but I'm just gonna dedicate to whoever wants to listen because I think we're all Star Wars fans, and it all began here. So I'm just. Uh, today, I hope we uh, we do right by our, our Star Wars fans and our cinema fans, and uh, and do them proud today. That's that's how I feel. A lot of pressure coming into this episode. A lot of pressure. Well, I don't know. We'll, we're going to see how this goes. If it starts to run amok, I might just say, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna cut it here, and we're gonna pick up again because I want to do this episode right." And what is really special about the recording that we're doing. When this episode releases, it's going to release, I believe, on the 28th. Now, for our Star Wars fans, the original Star Wars movie came out on May 25th of 1977. But this goes even deeper because we are recording this on May 14th. And for our Star Wars nerds out there, this is George Lucas's birthday. So we are actually recording our Star Wars podcast episode, the OG Star Wars, Star Wars episode four, A New Hope, all that stuff. We are recording it coincidentally. We didn't plan it like intentionally thinking it was going to be George Lucas's birthday, but here we are. So like the stars have aligned. Would you agree? Oh, I totally. It's almost like uh, there's this, I don't know, untold powerful element kind of pushing <laughs> us in this direction. <laughs> You know, forcing us to be in this situation. But uh, I, happy birthday to George. You know, he's a, a king of a king of kings in his own world. You know, he's really built something, and uh, I think was going we've all been able to be fans of. So happy birthday, George! Yeah, and before we like you know completely tear his work apart, I think there should be a moment of just appreciation for somebody that has that created this 
global phenomenon, which is Star Wars, right? I mean, this was one movie, a a film that had anywhere from a nine to twelve million dollar budget, some forty four years ago, and it changed the world, and it changed the world from a from a nerd aspect on giving uh, uh, nerdy people something to talk about, but it also changed the world cinematically. It, it, it changed. Uh, storytelling in many ways. And without this movie, there's a lot of art that never would have existed or certainly never would have existed in the way that its creator would have wanted it to. So yeah, happy birthday to George. And thank you. Thank you for, for, for your art. And um, with that, Let's begin. Let's begin tearing this fucker apart. No, I kid. I kid. I'm really excited about this one. I, I love Star Wars. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, either a you're you're a a kind friend of mine, or you found this episode because of the fact that you are a, a dedicated Star Wars fan. And I don't know if anything that we're going to say is going to be completely new to you. We're just going to be talking about it from a couple fans' perspectives. Things that we've liked. Things that we've learned, maybe a couple things that we didn't like, and just see how this conversation goes. You know, we're going to keep this very organic, very natural. I don't think it's going to be a super, super deep dive on the shooting conditions in Tunisia or, you know, things of that nature or how many different rewrites. We're not, I don't think we're really going to unpack the idea that this was Luke Sky Killer's. Or was it Sky Killer, Star Killer, Luke Star Killers, whatever you know, like so the original titles and things of that nature. We're not probably not going to unpack that much. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there might even be a discussion of the Christmas special. I don't know. I don't know. But regardless, thank you very much for for tuning in. We're gonna we're gonna try to have fun with this one. So. Yeah, that's really all I had. Basically, I made a lot of preparation for the intro and I had nothing else. So that's all I got. So, John, I'm, I'm counting on you. I'm counting on you to help me out today. Well, let's uh, let's start with the crawl. OK, have, have you heard the story? Have you heard the story behind the crawl? The story behind the crawl? I don't believe mm-hmm. I have. It's a really good story. There's a uh, little YouTube clip I saw is about two minutes long of Sp- uh, Spielberg talking about it and how when like those guys, Spielberg or uh, some of the other big names, uh, Francis Brian Ford Coppola, Coppola uh, was Scorsese. Like they used to all get together and show each other their movies and their uh, you know cuts and stuff. And Lucas invited Spielberg and uh, this Brian De Palma guy over. And about there's about six guys and they watched it uh, without any of the special effects. But Brian DePaul is going, it's a good movie, but it makes no sense. People aren't going to understand it. And uh, he was pretty irate about it. And um, by kind of brainstorming, they figured out, like, we'll do a crawl that will help explain what's going on. So that way the viewers will be able to, you know, have something to go off of into the story. So that was a fun, interesting story I'd heard. So Brian De Palma felt it was a little confusing and believed that there should be some type of opening crawl. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, he, he enjoyed the movie, but he didn't think the people going to watch it would understand it. I, I totally get that. The The opening crawl, I think, between this one and Empire Strikes Back, I think are the, the two most effective in, you know, kind of explaining what is going on at that uh, at that point. And I don't think really necessarily is boring. 
Do you want to read the crawl? Do you want me to read the crawl? No, I, I do not have it in front of me. Okay. Well, I've got it right here. So here we go. Opening crawl for Star Wars. It is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. During the battle, rebel spies managed to seal secret plans to the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star, an armored space station with enough power to destroy an entire planet. Pursued by the Empire's sinister agents, Princess Leia races home aboard her starship, custodian of the stolen plans that can save her people and restore freedom to the galaxy. Yeah, it 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 opens the story pretty pretty effectively. I would I would I would argue. What do you think? I think it uh, starts off with a bang. Uh, I think it's cool to show this. You know. The spaceships to right off the bat, I think George Lucas uh, Lucas was showcasing his art, and like this is this is what I'm bringing to the table, and it was a real uh, statement. And then to have like a small ship, and I imagine people would go whoa, and then to have another one that just far exceeds that um, come into the picture, and it's shooting. Then you go to the stormtroopers. There's a lot of death right off the bat, and uh, it get, it really sets a tone that. <laughs> There's just a lot of death going on within the movie, and it's like high stakes and things of that. So. Incredible high stakes, yeah, right off the bat. And you mentioned, you know, like that opening sequence where you get a spaceship, and then you get an even larger spaceship that takes up the entire the entire screen of what you're watching in this big, expansive outer space. And while I certainly wasn't born in 1977, I've seen a lot of other movies that came out around its time and movies that preceded Star Wars. And this movie was a shock to the senses. People hadn't seen anything quite as magnificent as this. We we mentioned that the film had a, you know, anywhere, or I mentioned that the film had anywhere from like a nine to $12 million budget. An entire special effects studio was created within this movie, ILM, right? That was what George Lucas is famous. One of the things that he's famous for is he created the special effects studio and he had a lot of contracted workers and he had a lot of people that were like college grads and things of that nature. But this movie did a ton of work within within the special effects industry. Yes, um, the movie had invested some money in its cast with when you when you have peter cushing and and sir alec guinness but apart from them the movie was mostly filmed with a lot of unknowns so a lot of that budget went to creating this this studio and the special effects that were that that star wars has gone has gone on to become famous and synonymous with and you're hit right upside the face in that in that first that first shot and it's like whoa okay what's going on and then we see the Empire kind of like storming aboard, you know, the, the ship and then the mass carnage that then erupts as a result. And this is all within three minutes of screen time, you know, and it's like, OK, well, you know, what the heck are we watching? What 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 is this? I mean, the movie the movie blew people's minds apart when this film came out. And it's funny when you mention when George Lucas kind of screened it for his buddies without like the kind of like the finished product and like the music and 
there were there were a lot of uh, a lot of concerns, certainly by George Lucas, based on um, his impressions, you know, from his friends and things of that nature. But he, from what I've read, was kind of concerned that this movie wasn't going to work. You know, that this movie was probably probably going to flop. It was going to be like a big financial blunder, and oh how wrong, <laughs> oh how wrong he was, right? I heard a fun story about that. Had you heard with him and Spielberg? Um, the only thing I know about Spielberg with within this is that Spielberg believed in it and he thought it was going to be a success, right? Was that what you were going to say? Yeah, but I'd also heard a rumor and I kind of looked it up and it seemed true that uh, Lucas bet him 2.5% of the movie uh, of his gross so I think there's a chance that Spielberg's actually made money off of Star Wars, if that's actually a true story. That if mm. if he if Lucas ever went through, but my understanding is Lucas bet like it was just like I bet you two point five percent of the gross that right. it is going to be a flop. And if he if he actually went through with that, it's kind of cool if, in a way this that's the tie-in or how money would go to Spielberg and Spielberg is able to fund other movies and advance, you know, CGI or, you know, uh, that stuff as well. That's funny. I mean, when to, to have that type of, uh, camaraderie with a, with a, you know, with a buddy that you can make that type of financial kind of like bet like, Oh, I'll take, you know, two and a half percent of, of, uh, of the stake. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I, I never heard that. That's really funny. Yeah. I, I mean, that was one of the fun, fascinating things that I guess I learned about it. Like I knew they were friends, but I didn't realize how close and just, I think we've all had that. And you and I had it at work, but like, you know, being in your twenties or thirties with other colleagues and getting the best out of each other, being your a game. Uh, it, it just, it, it was a fun side story uh, about this movie and the time whenever it was being made. I also, I was born in 85. I have no idea what 1977 was like. So it's, it's, it's fun to learn a bit about the time and what was going on. I don't know. I know your mom played a big role in your star Wars development. Maybe she'd saw the movie in the theaters. Perhaps you'd ever, you'd ask her how she felt about it. Yeah. In fact, that, that that's good. I don't know if I've ever asked if she saw the original. I know that she saw the, Empire Strikes Back in the theater. I saw the Empire Strikes Back in the theater. I have no, you know, I would have been one. I have no memory of, of seeing Empire, but yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to ask her as soon as we hop off. My mom's actually staying with us. She's in town. So you actually, the listeners very well may hear her uh, periodically in the ba- in the background, just chatting. My mom's a loud talker, um, but I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that just to see what, because of the fact that movie was, it was a phenomenon. The movie was an absolute phenomenon when it came out. It was a, you know, it was breaking box office records in its first year. Obviously, we know now that, you know, the movie is like one of the the all-time most successful films in the box office. But that's also sometimes seems a little bit misled because it's been released in the theaters like four or five different times over, over, over its, you know, history, some 40 plus years. But even when it was released in, in 1977 and even before it's re-released in 1981, the movie was the biggest year of, you know, the, the biggest hit of its year. And what I want to do 
In fact, I'm going to pull up 1977 in the box office. And here is kind of what what the other big films of that year were. Because, John, I don't even know if you know what else came out that year. There's some big hitters. There's some big hitters. Let's let's take a look. Also, think if any of our listeners want to get to us with Discord or uh, just shout out <laughs> if they're old enough to remember 1977, because I would actually really like to hear those stories and read about what it was like. Maybe they, maybe somebody went on their first date to go see Star Wars. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Okay, so here we go for 1977, and we'll do we'll do like. Total gross, not necessarily just actually, no, we'll, we'll do domestic. So we're only going to look at uh, the, you know, America in 1977. So here are the films, at least on Box Office Mojo. These are nine of the biggest films of that year. So number one, Star Wars, $195 million in the box office. And again, this is 1977 money. Then you also had a movie called The Deep. Fun fact, The Deep is a little movie that takes place and is filmed in Bermuda. For those listeners, um, that, that is where I am from. So, The Deep. Is, uh, is that is that a movie that all Bermudans have, like, kind of on VHS in their house? No, no definitely <laughs> not. No. Okay. <laughs> um, that's that's but, how Lonesome Dove is for Texans. Like, <laughs> there's just a copy of Lonesome Dove in most Texans' house. That's funny you mentioned that. I remember when Elliot was born... The nurse gave us gave us a uh, gave us a VHS copy of of Lonesome Dove. I didn't. I, I was always wondering, like, this is an odd birthday gift, but that is re- that is required if you were born in the state of Texas that they that they hand you, you know, a, a copy of Lonesome Dove on VHS. It's important for every child born in Texas to know their heritage. It's true. It's true. <laughs> they come from your your daughter comes from a proud line of Texans. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. she's a part of it. Yeah. Uh, sorry, but what was number three? I interrupted you oh, uh, on, on James, the big box office. Yeah. Uh, James Bond, The Spy Who Loved Me, 45 million. And then you had the original Oh God from like the, the Oh God series with, uh, uh, I want to say George Burns. Is that right? Is it George Burns or is George Burns from The Simpsons? No, that's Mr. Burns. So Mr. Burns is Montgomery Burns. So yeah, George Burns is the correct answer. Um, The Exorcist 2, movie called Mm -hmm. The Turning Point, which I don't know. Movie called Looking for Mr. Goodbar, which I don't know. A little movie called Saturday Night Fever, which I'm familiar Mm -hmm. with. And another movie called Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So that is what I see on Box Office Mojo. But Star Wars just completely slaughtered them. The, the closest one when it comes to global success would have been Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which globally had $116 million in, in that first year. So, yeah, the movie was a monumental success. Long story short, the movie was crushing it even even when it first came out and then four years later it was re-released and it did very well and and then it had another little run a few years later and then in 1997 the special edition came out and it it crushed the box office once again so long story short george lucas was wrong this movie was not a flop (laughs) this was uh just a just a heavy hitter in the heaviest hitterist ways imaginable so maybe we should talk about what this movie is about for the two people in this world that have never seen star wars 
Do you feel comfortable? Do you want to kind of do a brief overview of the plot? Do you want me to do it? I feel like we've talked about it a bit in our homework and lead up. Yeah, uh, yeah you're probably right. We might be able to save some time. Yeah, it, I mean, essentially, it's the hero's journey. It's Luke Skywalker going on with the mentor to finish off his journey, and he faces off against the evil person and saves the princess and meets some friends along the way. Uh, it's it. I think I'm more interested in just talking about um, the storytelling than um, yeah, people know the movie, right? Yeah, people know the movie. Now, you you brought up the, the the hero's journey. This is a movie that I think I've kind of spoken a little bit about that. Uh, I don't know if I've ever really given any context to the hero's journey at all. I don't know if that's something that we that that maybe you you want to talk about or it's irrelevant. I don't know. I would. We started to, and I believe I cut you off actually, or it was a little bit during. Uh, I think Attack of the Clones. Um, talk a little bit, and I didn't answer. I I didn't I didn't answer of when was Anakin's beginning mm. of his hero's journey. But in watching this, it didn't make me think that Anakin's uh, hero's journey down the dark side happens with Sand People in a similar way. Luke running off and getting hit by the Sand People is sort of the beginning of his hero's journey. So that's just one of my uh, little tie-ins that I, I try to go, oh, they probably thought of this. Right. You know? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to give a little backstory, when we throw this term out, the hero's journey, it really goes back to this, this book that goes to like the 1940s, maybe early 1950s. There's this guy, Joseph Campbell, and he wrote this book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And what he had done is he had just looked at stories over time and he based it on some like philosophical like readings and things of that nature but he came up with this idea of the hero's journey which was like 17 different steps that that a character goes on to become a true hero right and I'm a little bit more familiar with the the writer's journey which is what this this writer Christopher Vogler he did in the like the early to mid two thousands where he broke it down from like 17 steps to like 12 steps. But the whole idea of your hero's journey is that your, your hero goes on a, a different quest, right? You meet, you meet your, your hero in his ordinary world, right? So in, in the case of star Wars, the ordinary world, our protagonist, our hero, right? is Luke Skywalker. And so Luke Skywalker is this, this farm boy, right? And he lives on this farm with his aunt and uncle. But meanwhile, you've got the galaxy, which is under turmoil via the, the, the galactic empire, right? That's part of your normal world. That's everything that's going on. But again, we, we get a sense of that through the hero that we're tracking in his journey. So his call to adventure is a literally when his his android had run off and he has to go figure out where the heck his 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 robot is right so he meets up with this character ben kenobi and the 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 robot is like well he's property of this guy ben kenobi ben kenobi's like i i've never had a droid before let's let's figure out what the heck this is all about and they uncover this this message from princess leia that says help me obi-wan kenobi you're my only hope right so it's literally kind of like a 
a text message or a phone call, like a FaceTime video that says, hey, I need your help. And Obi-Wan's like, oh, snap. All right. Well, hey, kid, you need to come with me. You need to come with me on this adventure. So that's literal, your literal call to action in, in the most literal sense, in the most obvious sense, Luke is being called to action. Now, within the, the writer, the, the hero's journey, the next step is that refusal of the call. Are you going to be a, a willing participant or are you going to be a reluctant hero, right? In the case of Luke, he was more reluctant. You know, he can't leave home. He's got he's to hang out with, you know, he's got to go to Tashi station for power converters or all that bullshit, right? He, he has, he, he's got responsibilities on his farm. So that's his, that's, that's your, that's your next, your, your next step, right? That is your refusal of the call. And then it goes on through different things. You've got like this, this term called the meeting of the mentor. And that's when, you know, Ben Kenobi is talking to him a little bit about the force and talking to him a little bit about his father, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Your next step is called crossing the threshold. And that is really your stepping over from your first act, which is your introduction into your second action, your, your second act, which is going to be like your meat and potatoes of it, right? So that is your, all right, I'm leaving that ordinary world. So you're crossing over that threshold. You're leaving your home planet to go into this next world. And when you're in this next world, we call that like your, 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 allies and enemies and your your tests your quests right so this is where luke learns about the force this is where we're introduced to han solo and chewbacca and um you know we learn a little bit more about princess leia these are the people that are, these are your your friends and allies these are the ones that are going to help you along your journey after you go through that you go into this thing this is kind of like toward the end of your kind of toward the end of your second act. We call this like the innermost cave in Empire Strikes Back. It's quite literal. You're literally going into a cave. But in this film, that innermost cave is the Death Star, right? So you are, you're in this strange place. You're in this deep cave in the original Star Wars. You're in the Death Star, right? So you've got Luke trying to rescue the princess. You've got Obi-Wan that is trying to turn off, um, what is it, like a... Uh, like a shield, right? He's trying to turn off a shield. And you've got... Tractor, tractor beam. beam. Thank you, tractor beam. And you've got Obi-Wan Kenobi and Chewbacca that are basically just running decoy, right? They're running point, they're running the perimeter, just trying to take, you know, some of that... that uh, Han and Chewie. Han and, uh, yeah, thank you. Han and Chewie are trying to take some of that attention off of Obi-Wan and, and Luke Skywalker and et cetera. And all these things are you're in this very daunting task. Things do not look good. Right. So mm -hmm. that, that's like your, that's like your next step. And. So what you're explaining is like the team is split mm -hmm. up in this very dangerous environment. Yep. And so you got that innermost cave and then they call it the, you know, you've got this phase called like the ordeal and that's like, you know, your, your rescue, the ordeal. There you go. So the ordeal is your, your second act, like conflict. So what happens? Well, you, you rescue the princess, but then you lose that mentor, you know? And in this case, what you literally lose, Obi-Wan Kenobi, he dies, right? So that that's basically your end of the second act. And now you're headed into that third act, your, your final battle. But before you get that final battle, you have to have this, this moment of reprieve. We call that the reward, right? So the reward in this is they leave the Death Star 
But now Luke has gotten that acceptance. He, he, he's now part of the rebellion, right? When we first meet Luke, he's in this ordinary world, but he dreams that he want, you know, that he's going to do great things and he'll be a, a great uh, pilot like his father and he's going to do all these things, yada, yada. The third act, what happens? Luke, Luke joins the rebellion. You know, that's his reward for, for saving the princess, getting out of there. He lost his mentor, but he saved the princess. So that's his reward. And now from there, what's going to go on? You are now going to get into what we call, um, I think they call it like the road back. And what that now means is in order to get, now that he's joined that rebellion, in order to get back to his, his, his ordinary world again, where things are a little bit different. And Lord of the Rings does this very well as well, where they go on this journey they they succeed and now it's kind of like their journey back right how but when things when you go back things aren't always the same you're different the world has changed right so he can't go back to tatooine you know just just because he's now part of the rebellion and he he saved the princess he now knows that the death star has to be destroyed so in order for luke to get any form of normalcy He's got that final quest. He has to defeat the Death Star. And so you now, you know, you, you've got your, your final your final test. And they, I think they call it like the return of the elixir. And in this way, basically, Luke, Luke takes down the Death Star, right? He 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 learns everything that uh, I'm sorry, before before return of the elixir, that you've got the resurrection. And this one, Luke is now using using the force to the, the the trainings that he got from Obi-Wan Kenobi. He is now finding his path to becoming a Jedi, which is something that was kind of thrown to him. He he embraces that. So they, they call that the resurrection. So it's also in a literal sense, the resurrection of that mentor that we lost, right? Because we get the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi saying, all right, you know, I, I, I've told you about this power. I'm dead, but yet here I am. You know, I've I've been resurrected. Luke embraces this. He he's now starting to use that force. He's now on that path. And then you return with the elixir. In this case, what he's done is he he takes those trainings and he single-handedly blows up the Death Star. That's your hero's journey. Thank you for allowing me that that five to seven minute rant to kind of explain explain that. But hopefully, hopefully that that answers some questions for the listeners that maybe don't know. And of course, maybe my screenwriter people uh, that are listening can tear me apart for for uh, going off uh, the top of my head, trying to break down the hero's journey via Star Wars. But I think I think I got that right. I think I got the steps. But with that, I'm going to shut up and have a sip of my tasty drink. Oof. Yeah, I, I do think you missed out the part where the hero has to have a magical bloodline, mm, mm. which here. We didn't know that in this we film. Did not. We did not know that. No. I tried to search for things that might have foreshadowed it. Uh, the only thing I kind of got was that like Vader was the, uh, the best pilot. But uh, uh, but no, that was a well, I, I think that was a great just telling of the story and how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we start with C-3PO and R2-D2, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we've said before that this entire series is their series. And uh, that they 
they're going to tell the whole entire story. I mean, by that, everybody knows this Anakin Skywalker series, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, enjoy them. I enjoyed how the team got together. Prove uh, favorite scenes. Any, um, anything that stands out over time, anything, any favorite sayings other than, uh, was it we're doomed or I got a bad feeling about this? Right. The cliche lines that are used in this film. Um, uh, I think my favorite line is the, the line who's more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that, that's a good, yeah. When I, I noticed in, uh, in that, like, there's this kind of ego going on between Luke, uh, Obi-Wan and Han Solo. And each wants to get in the last word before Luke takes off to go, uh, to the, to try to fight the death star. And they have their, you know, final words in, you know, they both try to convince each other to go with each other. Uh, and yeah, Luke kind of gives them the, you know, take care of yourself, but Han still gets in the, may the force be with you. Like right. in a similar way, I think it, like each time you watch a scene, like I think they kind of want to get in their, uh, their own words. But what I thought was cool, the most Isley Cantina scene was Obi-Wan who's playing the mentor uh, allows Luke to kind of fight with Han a little bit or like at least bargain. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the deal was for 10,000. Obi got off the planet for two. Uh, and we all know like the money that's going to be paid to Han is speculative. So it's like Obi-Wan really got the best deal out of the whole thing. But I think it's a cool setup where, cause there's not much time in the movie. So Obi-Wan has to do a lot with a little bit of time to kind of show how he's a Jedi guy. But I think that's kind of cool how he sets him above Han and Luke and they all respect him. He's the leader uh, when yeah. they go to the heart of, heart of darkness, evil. There, there are so many things I want to talk about this movie, but I guess one thing that I'll, I'll mention, and obviously most of the listeners know who's in this movie, but it's important to know that apart from Alec Guinness and Peter Cushing, everybody in the film at that time were relatively unknown, right? Nobody knew who the heck Harrison Ford was. He had a small role in American Graffiti and had like a couple tiny roles in other films. Certainly nobody knew who Carrie Fisher was. I mean, they, they, they may have known her parents were, but she was a like a teenage girl that nobody really knew anything about. Mark Hamill, forget it. Nobody knew anything about Mark Hamill, you know, and your Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, Peter Mayhew, uh, David Prowse. I mean, these were people that people did, shit. People still don't know who David Prowse was, you know, like, but that was the, 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 the guy that was the body of Darth Vader. I mean, you had James Earl Jones, who was in a lot of stuff in the sixties and seventies, but again, by and large, this movie was filmed with a lot of relative unknowns and also the way that George Lucas wanted it. Not that he couldn't have gotten people, right? Cause this movie is famous for the people that auditioned for this movie that didn't get in it, right? Ooh, do tell. Pardon me? I haven't heard in a while. I mean, I okay. remember the SNL skits with like Burt Reynolds and stuff. Oh my God, the I'll, SNL skits. I'm going to, so, oh, that, that's a perfect segue. For the listeners, please do your homework whenever you listen to these episodes. Take a look if you're listening on the Apple podcast. Click on like the episode show notes because I usually put in some hyperlinks on like related materials that we're talking about. And that's also a good way that you can find out a little bit of information of who's on each episode. But each podcast episode, I have some show notes and I'm pretty sure on YouTube you can find the 
the uh, the SNL um, auditions, uh, and it, it's really really funny. And so I'll try to include that. But for people that did actually interview uh, audition for for Han Han Solo is probably the most famous because of who did audition. Like uh, Luke Skywalker, I believe the actor William Cat who was in Carrie and he was the greatest American hero on TV, on the, like the TV show, he auditioned for Luke Skywalker. But when you look at who interviewed for or auditioned for Han Solo, I mean, you've got actors like Sylvester Stallone, Christopher Walken, Bill Murray, Burt Reynolds, Jack Nicholson, Al Pacino, um, uh, Kurt, did I, I don't know if I said Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, you know, these these are all people that auditioned for the role of Han Solo. And when you really just try to think about who some of these actors are, you know, and what that role would have looked like, it, it's it's incredible. You know, um, I believe for the uh, for Princess Leia, you had um, uh, Jodie Foster. Who is really young? She auditioned for for Princess Leia. Karen Allen, who was uh, used a couple of years later in the Raiders of the Lost Ark film, you know, so she still would work with George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. But Karen, you know, she she was just sorry. I, she was ahead. also the girl. She was also the girl in American Graffiti. But when when she who hops in the car with the guy who races Harrison Ford, you just blew my mind. I haven't seen American Graffiti in like 20, 30 years. And I think you're, I think you're right. I think you're right. I need, that's a movie that I need to go back and watch, but I like my earliest recollection of her was Raiders of the Lost Ark, but I think you're right. I think she was in American Graffiti. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to, I'll, I'll fact check this at some point if you have any rants just to confirm, but I think you're right. No, I no, I'm right. pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I'm right. Yeah. Uh, yeah I think you're right. I, Good call. I, Good call. I used, well, growing up and it was nice. We, we talked before. I don't want to harp on too long about these being family films. We'd watch in the holidays. I watched these with my parents watching this. See, I tried to play into like one of the first scenes when he's talking to Leia and it's like, oh, it's dad and dad and daughter, you know, he's like, she's being, you know, she's being disruptive. She's never going to tell. I tried to do that, but it doesn't really feel like that was what that they were going for at that. I don't know if they wrote it later or they were still trying to keep it away, but there's not a, there's not so much of a fa family element as like a, a team story element. I feel right. Yeah. To me, this is a family film because I watched with my family and my parents. Mm -hmm. And but one of those tie-ins was always Harrison Ford. It was saying, I believe Karen Allen and how just they used to tell me American Graffiti was one of their favorite movies. Um, my folks are actually pretty hip and happy with Days of Confused. They saw the tie-ins to American Graffiti in a different right. genre of film. So yeah, that's that's my story. What are some things that you like about this movie? You know, what works? I mean, for me, I think that's a, a dumb question because I think everything, quite frankly, works. But what are what are some things that when you think about this movie that 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 you yeah, whether it's a key scene or whether it's dialogue or whether it's emotion or whether it's a story, what what lingers with you? Why do you go back to this film? I usually don't. Oh. <laughs> uh, I, I, that's what I realized in this was that this one for the most of my life has fallen behind, like it's been the last one I watch 
like I generally go to Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi um, or I like the Revenge of the Sith. And there's as movies been added on, I just have come back to this movie less and less. So watching it this time, it was fantastic. I'd, I'd forgotten that, like in a way, how beautiful of a film it was, how the music, you know, and even some songs are just played louder, like whenever Luke walks in and to get his medal and on. Uh, it's just like, it's the theme, but it's just played louder. It's like more proud and stuff uh, compared to other parts. But, um, you know, then you got the simple version whenever he's just on Tatooine looking into the sun. Uh, and there's a cool shot where he looks down and then he kind of looks back at the sun. And it's kind of like a, you know, it's a perfect picture of like defiance or just a guy who's going to go somewhere. Like he, you know, he questions himself, but then he looks forward again. Mm-hmm. But one of the other parts was just how Obi-Wan really represents, I was going to easily like the good side of the force and the Jedi teaching force, but it's also uh, once again more naturalistic and Vader who is, all parts of metal and he's in a flying planet that's made out of metal. It's all mechanical. And so one of the things when Luke's in the cockpit about to take down the planet, when he puts away his computer, actually, sorry to jump back when they're in the meeting to attack the planet, which they could have done some better planning, but when they're in the meeting to attack the planet, one of the guys next to Luke just says the, you know, a computer could never hit that. And he says, I used to do that all the time back home. So then you get to the part where they're in the canyon and they're going down and Vader is on him and he feels the force within him, but he puts away the computer. And so Luke's making a choice to, I'm going to trust in myself in my own eyes, which is Obi-Wan's teaching and not the computer, which is kind of to go further down the line. That would kind of be going down a Vader mechanical way. So that was the choice he made at that moment to go with himself, go with the light side. And uh, he blew it up. And so I just had a better understanding of that. Or I, I just think that that was a part in the movie. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. So uh, also like how when Han flies in, I think there's an element of there's good versus evil. There's the Sith versus Jedi Republic versus empire. And when Han Solo is the wild card. So let's talk about characters after this. Let's start with, let's yeah. start with Han. Okay. But, you know, he comes in, <laughs> you know, and blows it up, uh, or, you know, and then Vader flies. But the redemption it, arc is complete for him. It, well, and I think he, well, I was going to say he kind of represents the syndicates. So it's like he's not the Republic or Empire. He's the, he's the third factor. And which way Han goes was which way, you know, could turn the battle. Or uh, mm-hmm. so uh, I, I thought that looking at it, that's how I, what I thought he represented. But okay. th- those are things I liked. Uh, yeah. But we're talking about we're talking about Han, huh? Uh, Harrison Ford. I, I remember hearing a story. I thought like George Lucas found him as a carpenter. Like he knew he worked on American Graffiti, but he was being a carpenter at that time. And he comes in and uh, sits him down at the Millennium Falcon. It looks like it's the right fit. Harrison Ford asked him like, "How do you fly it?" <laughs> and Lucas had no idea. But uh, maybe he wasn't the genius we all thought he was. Happy birthday, George. (laughs) Sometimes it's all about luck and being in the right place at the right time, right? Well, and he does tell Luke, like, that was one in a million. Yet Later on, he tells C-3PO, like, never tell me the odds. Uh, That's Empire Strikes Back, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But I like that. In the cantina scene when they're like, no droids allowed. A part of me thinks just like, well, yeah, they're not going to drink. 
but they're like, we don't want to start trouble yet. Obi-Wan cuts off somebody's arm. Like there's so many humans in there, like causing trouble. Like, why are they afraid of the droids? So I've started this theory that because of the clone wars where they were fighting droids, there's a racism towards droids. Sure. Or a, uh, so that's the reason why droids are no longer being allowed in bars is because uh, they, because of the, you know, earlier ones and stuff like that. Yeah, there's a bit of an ism. I mean, you know, life forms are an organic matter and then, you know, droids are artificial, you know. So, yeah, I mean, if we're all different, you have to find something that that you can if, if everybody is different, you can you have to find that one thing that that diversity can uh, rail against in this way. And in, in this way, it's artificial intelligence. Right. So it, it, it makes sense. Obviously, this is something that blends well within the prequels because you did have you know the, the like the the like the droid armies and things of that nature so you you can definitely do that of course you know i don't necessarily want to open up a can of worms or anything whether george lucas really intended that to be part of it or if it was just dialogue that was thrown in there i don't know i don't know but it, it works well within the framework of this movie. And that's one thing that I asked you, like, why do you go back to this movie? You're like, well, I don't. I mean, I appreciate this movie, but I, the reason why I go back to this movie, and this is my second favorite film in the entire franchise, but if not for Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> um, this would be my, this would be my favorite. And the reason is it's a complete story. There is a definitive beginning, middle and end. And it's a perfect hero's journey. Now, obviously, you know, you, you know, I'm not that I'm only a stickler, you know, uh, for hero's journeys. I mean, shit, I, I love David Lynch films and those plots will make you gouge your own eyeballs out, right? They're all over the place, you know, so I'm not, I'm not married to hero's journeys, but I am in love with a good story and a good story that knows its rules and understands what it's trying to tell. And star Wars tells its story perfectly, perfectly. Um, and there are other elements that I love. Yes. I, I, I love how it revolutionized special effects. I love the, the John Williams score, which is damn near flawless. I, I love the acting in this movie that you had, some really incredible undiscovered talent. And you also had some A-list actors that were throwing terminology that had words that had never been uttered before in, in modern filmmaking. And some of these things just sounded absurd, but you were in it. There, there, there never really felt that there was any moment of overacting. Anybody was over the top terms that I've thrown out in other films, like very cartoony. No, this is the world and you're in this world and you believe it and you're long for this ride. And it, it's a home run, you know, it's, it's quite possibly a perfect film. You know, I mean, uh, on a scale of zero to 100, Star Wars is 94, 95. I don't know many ways that film really in itself as its own separate entity because this is one of the things and I, I really don't want to get too much on a soapbox because I think we're probably going to talk about it. 
you, you never know there's going to be a sequel. You never know that film's going to be a success. And certainly if you're um, a filmmaker and someone's, you know, and, and this was also before the age of where sequels were part of, of what was expected. You know, I mean, you had Godfather and Godfather two, but I can't really think of many other sequels at its time in 1977 where, you know, and, and shit that was still based on a book, you know, the Godfather. I mean, this was an original idea George Lucas can come out four or five years later. Oh, it's part of a trilogy. In fact, I've got 12 stories that I want to tell. No, 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 no. You are a screenwriter and you're, you're telling a story and you're given money to create something truly iconic. You're going to put, you're going to put all of, you're going to put your best hand forward. And George did that. And he, 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 he created something truly masterful and, and unlike anything that we've had within the action adventure genre, I mean, we could, you know, you can talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it's still based on content that was already existing, right? I mean, it's those are based on decades old literature, right? Um, I guess the closest thing I can think of is the Matrix, but that is that's very very small in comparison to what George Lucas created in 1977, which this is a movie that is now 40 plus years old. And it's a multi-billion dollar brand. And that, that, that came from an original story. I think the matrix is a good thing to go back to. We kind of started with, I think we started with that with Phantom Menace. And in a way, like, I've been thinking about it's kind of a, I thought for a different pop, but when I was a kid, the Star Wars story was complete. So I could imagine all day what happened before Star Wars and what happened all day after Star Wars and make it up in my head. Right. Because the, the story in between was complete. But once episode one came, all of a sudden it's like we've lost the control to imagine. Now we're mm-hmm. just we're gonna watch what they, they're gonna put out. But uh what I was gonna bring to there were only so many trilogies when I was a kid. It was the Godfather trilogy, and there was the Star Wars trilogy. Since then, it was like Pirates of the Caribbean trying to make a trilogy, Matrix trying to make a trilogy. Um, yeah, a lot of people try. Like it was almost like going to be like cool if you could do a trilogy and stuff. And storytellers would try to, but yeah. it, when we were kids, there were only two: is Godfather, uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, sorry, that's what I want to mention. But Godfather. And Star or and Star Wars, that was it. Yeah, I mean, and Back to the Future, nineteen eighty nine. There know? you go. Yeah, good call. That. Yep. Yep. But with the Matrix, I, I do want to kind of just point out right now, and maybe some people will. As great as Matrix was, and once again, it wasn't as revolutionary as Star Wars is. It was better than Phantom Menace. But when you look at the trilogy as a whole. How many times are you? How many times do people sit down and watch the Matrix trilogy? And how many times do they sit down and watch episode one, two, and three? Uh, maybe just Star Wars is bigger, so it wins. But I'm going to guess over those three trilogies, there's a lot more fans of the Star Wars than there is of the Matrix. Like it wins in the end. That's that. Those are the, the last thing I'm ever going to say about episode one, two, and three on the spot. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. So my favorite character in the movie, and I think yours as well is obi-wan kenobi right in this film my favorite character is han solo oh yeah but 
but I do love me. I, I do love me some Obi-Wan Kenobi, but no Han Solo is my favorite. I like what I like, or I thought was funny or cool was cause there's a whole discussion on Han shooting first. And whenever they get to the Death Star, what Luke kind of tells them, like, you know, you're shooting everything. And from then on, I noticed that he really does kind of shoot everything. Mm-hmm. Like, he shoots the radio. He shoots the – he shoots at the alien in the water. He shoots back at the water. At, like, he basically just, you know, he runs around the corner. He's a stormtrooper. He shoots them. <laughs> and so I just can't watch it and just be like, yeah, Han really does walk around and just shoot at everybody first if he, if he has to or can so yeah yeah i mean he's he's rogue he's unpredictable you know he's a yeah he's unpredictable he's unreliable he's self-serving and survival i mean those are the things that are important to him is his own survival we we learn that you know he's he, he's made some mistakes when uh we we catch up to this character greedo that you know he he owes some money and you know the the uh the time for delay has passed you know like he he needs to come correct on on these and so he's met up with this this character greedo who says no 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 like you're you know you you've had your opportunities and no more no more and you know you, you say it and obviously it, it, it's it i've said it and things people just bring it up like the the whole idea of han shoots first greedo shoots first no 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 han definitively shot first the movie has obviously gone through edits one two three four maybe five different times this movie has been recalibrated since its original theatrical release in 1977 but even in the screenplay it's established that Han shoots at Greedo first. So I, 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 I appreciate that George Lucas has gone on record after the fact and said that, you know, he wanted to think of Han Solo as a more heroic character, but his own journey is far more valuable within this film. Obviously we now have a, an origin story of him, but within this film, his, his arc is better when he goes from the guy that only thinks about number one, who is going to do some shady shit to the point where he puts himself in a position of sacrifice and, 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 you know, helps save the rebellion, you know, like this is a guy that, that, that shot first, you know, that, that killed somebody to save his own hide when he was the guy that was at fault. Let's not beat around the bush. He screwed over Jabba the Hutt's character, right? I mean, that's what we're introduced to. Even before you even saw Jabba the Hutt in the film, you understand that Han had done things and it was time for him to be punished. And he kills a guy. He kills, a, you know, he shoots first and he kills a guy. That's the character that we're tracking. That's a guy that's now only on this other mission because he wants money. And then he's given money. He gets out of town because he's still thinking about number one. He comes back and help save the day. His arc is complete. It's an infinitely better story than than the one that has been reframed digitally and and with like with computer generated images. And I feel bad for those that only have the the Disney Plus version or the Blu-ray version where now it's Greedo shooting first and now Greedo has a line of dialogue before he shoots at Han. 
But on the VHS, Han does shoot first. And it's not, it's not open for debate. This isn't a discussion. And I'm not trying to be on a soapbox, but things were changed because George Lucas felt that he had gotten it wrong, you know? But no, what he's gotten wrong is his his revisionist aspect of of a character that he created and thinking, well, you know, this, that, and the other. But no, 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 no. His story is better if he does kill the guy first. And he does, he does kill Greedo first. I'm sorry, John. I, I didn't mean to go on a little bit of a rant, but I I I I, I had to. I think people need to hear it, man. Yeah, you know. Uh I don't when I look at the edited the newer versions, I don't, I, I think they're enhanced in ways where like you get a scene with Biggs. So you actually get a scene with one of Luke's buddies from back home who dies yeah. when then you fight. So I think there's, it's easy to find, uh, you know, it's easy. That's just, everybody always talks about Han shooting first. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's a bigger deal because it's what's affecting his character. Arc. And that's why it's a big deal more than, you know, Luke just losing his buddy back at home and we meet Wedge. He'd be, comes Luke's new buddy right now. Yeah. I think, I think people are more, more, and you know, there, there's the issue of, of Jabba in this film. And it it seems a little, little cartoony with him stepping on the tail. And, you know, there, there, there's elements that just seem that, that don't necessarily completely fit tonally with the rest of this movie. But I think most people are willing to like, all right, fine, whatever that happened. But when you do completely flip or, you know, completely flip something upside down where it's someone's individual character arc. Yeah. You're, you're going to have, you're going to have like significant pushback. Sure. If also, or if here's a four is like, no, I shoot first and I die in the end of empire strikes back. That's, that's the story we were going to tell. I can see how he could be upset with George because that's not the story he told. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 But he shoots first. And uh, the other, I think, at least thing I picked up this time more was how a lot of his trouble came from um, dumping the cargo due to the empire. So whenever he's signing up Luke and Obi-Wan, it, it gives you the idea of jeopardy. Once again, that this is a pilot. He not only shoots first, he's willing to dump his cargo as signs of the empire. That's who's tracking him down. So mm-hmm. it, it paints a scarier person. And when you put him next to Chewbacca, who I imagine to a lot of people right off the bat might have been a scary character yeah. or um, kind of sets a different tone. Yeah, and that's a really great call out because of the fact that we now know of Chewie because we, we've got, you know, a lot of information on him. But if you're seeing the original Star Wars for the first time and you know nothing about this world and none of these characters and the first line of dialogue that you hear about this character is that, you know, he can rip off somebody's arms and he's growling and snarling and not speaking any English. And he's this seven foot three hairy beast. And this guy's the only person that understands him is this guy. Yeah. There, 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 there's things to be concerned about for sure. For sure. That just made me realize there's a person who Obi-Wan's talking to at the cantina in between him and Chewie. And I always thought that was a different freighter pilot. That was probably an interpreter telling, you know, translating for Chewie because immediately mm. turns and tells Luke, like, you know, after he has the fight, he turns and goes, Chewie's a first mate on a ship. And then they walk over to Han. Yeah. I was always kind of curious if that was just him trying to get a different pilot, but it makes sense if that's actually an interpreter. I never even thought about that. I don't know. It, it's probably, yeah, I don't know. 
but some people might not care. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know what people do care about though? Uh, lightsabers. They do nah. care about lightsabers. <laughs> they care what about they... what are you what are you drinking tonight? Oh man, I um. I am actually drinking a beer. I told myself I was never going to drink again. Ooh, okay. Uh, yeah. As you know, Jedi Master Obi Wan Kenobi is played by Sir Alec Guinness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I decided to go with a Guinness. That is and, uh, great. Yep. Guinness Stout. Wrote a little something. Surprisingly light for a dark beer. Similar to the movie, the beer has a cutting edge throughout history for being one of the first taps in a bar to have the tap advertise the beer. To have the perfect pour presentation and to use nitrogen versus CO2. Giving the beer a more velvety mouthfeel, sorry, mouthfeel, and the foamy bubbles that create the signature cream head. So, uh, actually, uh, I'm not going to lie. A friend recommended it to me and he sent me that. And I just thought it sounded so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it just was dead on. So yeah. I am drinking Guinness tonight for the first time in probably eight years for one night and one night only. I'm on Guinness, folks. I love it. How about you? How about you, Andrew? So, or do you have anything to say about Guinness or Dublin? I've got or- a lot of things to say. I've got a lot. A lot of a lot of feelings right now so i'm not drinking a guinness because i knew that was what you were going to do not because you told mm. me i just I, I know you and i'm like he's totally gonna have a guinness tonight i'm like it's either gonna be a guinness or it's gonna be a pbr just because he's gonna go back to like or like a lone star he's gonna go to like something like og like old school for this one and then i'm like no 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 he's not gonna do that he's gonna be a little bit more on the nose we both love Obi-Wan Kenobi, Obi-Wan, Alec Guinness. He's going to have a Guinness. He's totally going to have a yeah. Guinness. So yeah. I, I, love I was I not you. It, it, funny enough. It was, it was a recommendation. I had to phone a friend, uh, but once, once I heard, yes, I was on board. It just, right. especially for Alec Guinness, you know, mm-hmm. like it just, uh, yeah, it just it was a, a great recommendation, and I don't want to give out the, my source. You know, okay. I want to keep that private. I like it. I like it. Uh, you know what else I like? I love. What do you, what do you I, like? Well, I, I want to. I want to also say I greatly appreciate that you, even though this was something that you didn't want to have again. I love Guinness. I love Guinness. It's just oh god, it's so good. I go back to being in Ireland and. I love a pint of Guinness. I do. But no, I am having, because I'm I'm watching one of my all-time favorite films. I wanted to have one of my all-time favorite beers. So I'm going with Avery's Maharaja. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with the Maharaja, but this beer packs a punch. We're talking 10% and... It is just one of the most delightful IPAs. It's an imperial IPA. And I I just wanted to have one of my all-time favorite IPAs to talk about one of my all-time favorite films. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Sounds delicious. I'll have to drink one one day. Mm -hmm. No, uh, the only... 
Yeah, that just reminds me of, once again, Hank Azaria's character in Mystery Men, the Blue Raja. The Blue Raja. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know he wears green, but anyways. Uh, <laughs> it's our second It's our second Mystery Men reference in the past month, I think. I, it's just been on my mind. It's okay. I did appreciate a small, well, it was, I, I, it's weird to say it was a solo reference when this movie came out in 1977. And so it, but it's just when um, the droids are about to leave, it's one of the early scenes, but he says, we'll be sent to the spice mines on Kessel. And so it just kind of those tie-ins and stuff. So I kind of appreciate that little part in the, uh, the movie. Man, let's see. What else do I have here? Vader versus Obi-Wan. Uh-huh. Lo- love that fight. Let's talk about, you know, like talking about the check marks of a Star Wars movie besides the John Williams score. And uh, we might talk about the, how the empire always sets a trap for a one-off victory fail swoop, but lightsaber fight, I thought was really cool. And then, you know, um, I feel like Obi-Wan kind of baits Vader and he becomes the decoy and he lets him know I'll become bigger than, you know, ever. Uh, what does that mean? Well, I think, okay. So Allegan is saying I'll become bigger than ever. It's going to be his spirit living on through the force. So he's selling, that's what he's selling Luke on to make the right decisions is like, you know, this is a greater power. And so I've, by bringing Vader in, it, uh, you know, allows it, it allows Luke to see him be killed by Vader uh, which allows him, you know, just to die and be part of the force, but it allows him to sacrifice himself, which I think gives Luke the ability to think like he needs to be sacrificed or, or, um, you know, for the cause. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but I think it feeds in later to where Obi-Wan was trying to set up a showdown between Luke. He realized Luke was his champion and he was, and Luke was going to face Vader at some point. And so he was trying to give, Luke the fuel to be able to fight Vader down the road um, by seeing him die. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I feel like it kind of late leads to, and this, we'll get to this in Empire Strikes Back though, is Vader asks Luke, Obi-Wan never de- told you what happened to your father. And he says, he told me enough. He told me you kill him. Obi-Wan's notorious for not telling Luke anything. He always misconstrues everything he says. Like he, he wants Luke to kind of figure it out for himself, I guess, but he's just misdirecting Luke. I feel like, Maybe not everything, but I feel like he misdirects and, and answers questions in a mysterious way. Luke says, like, I'm looking for Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he could just be like, that's me. But he's like, oh, that's the name I haven't heard. He's like, oh, so you know him. So whenever Luke directs him, ask him directly, oh, you know him. Then he finally miss it's me. But I feel like he does a lot of misdirection. I just want to finish just with the Empire Strikes Back point. I know we're going to get to it in the future, but it sets a scene where Vader has to admit, I am your father. And in a way that begins the Vader come back to Anakin story of Vader is no longer Darth Vader by saying, Luke, I am your father. He's admitting he's still part of Anakin. Um, And I feel like that's what Obi-Wan is setting up throughout the film is the Luke versus Vader aspect. And that's, I may have given it away and you could delete it out, but I think that's kind of the, uh, no, I'm not going to delete anything. I'm not going to, yeah. uh, but what I want to do is, um, and you know, and this just really comes down to perspective and everything like that. 
because I really want to think of this film as its own separate, just individual film. And we know that Darth Vader is Luke's father because of the sequel, Empire Strikes Back. I'm not necessarily completely entirely sure that George Lucas knew that, that, you know, that Darth Vader was going to be Luke Skywalker's father in this one. He, he may have said that in follow-up interviews. We're like, oh yeah, that was always part of my intention. Da, 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 da. But within the, in the case of this film and like, oh yeah, Luke and Leia were always going to be siblings yet. You know, she plants a kiss right on him and, you know, and uh, you know, the, the end of Empire Strikes Back, you know, or the beginning, you know, she plants a kiss on his mouth and, you know, like, so I don't know. I don't know. But what I will say is whether, whether George Lucas knew that Darth Vader was Luke's father in this movie or not is irrelevant to, to, I think Obi-Wan's, um, way that he gives information. I think he gives Luke the information that Luke needs at that time, you know, and yeah, I agree. And, I think he wants Luke to figure it out for himself. Right. So I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't even know. I don't think Alec Guinness knew that like the actor Alec Guinness knew that Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's father. I don't know, you know, like yeah, when, they, and, when he filmed and, that, you know, like when he, if he's acting that way, that he's acting like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm misleading him. Other than the fact that there, there are things that happen that is that you know, that this kid doesn't necessarily need to know about just yet, because it is he, he needs to figure these things mm-hmm. out for himself. He's going to give him enough information to make informed decisions for himself. The only thing that uh, Obi Wan ever tells Luke that he needs to do is come with him. You know, if you want to be like your father, you need to come with me on this journey. Everything else is kind of, kind of figure it out, kid, figure it out. But no, 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 but I need you. I need you because I'm a crusty old freaking grizzly old ass Jedi master. And I need, I need, I need an apprentice. If I'm going to get back in the game, I need an apprentice. Right. Yeah. Well, this is why it'd be nice for anybody out there actually saw this for the first time back in 1977 let us know because we i only know the complete story so it's hard for me to detach myself from the the others but uh i agree with you that there's nothing that really makes leia and luke seem like they're siblings or that they're darth vader's child uh that that's the fun stuff I do in my head <laughs> right. putting that story together. Right. Uh, and, and, and it makes it more fun when you, because we now have 11 films, right. Or nine within the individual actual saga, right. You, you've got nine, but again, 1977, there wasn't episode one, two or three, or, or even that matter five or six or seven, eight, and nine. In fact, this was in episode four. And that is something that you and I have talked about off, off the air, but I'm going to bring it up right now. You know, we've, we, we haven't even mentioned uh, a phrase tonight because it, 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 you know, it, it's something that kind of uh, irritates me. And I, we've mentioned maybe another podcast and I've, I've talked about it, but this is, this movie is now known as star Wars episode four, a new hope. Right. That, that's what it's called. Star Wars Episode four, A New Hope. For the listeners that don't know, 
there was no episode four because there wasn't an episode one, two, or three because those came much later. But even when Empire Strikes Back was released, it wasn't necessarily episode five. This movie never got that episode four designation until 1981, which was like a year after Empire Strikes Back came out. In 1977, there was never Star Wars episode four, A New Hope. It was just Star Wars lead into the crawl. So this this notion that there were there was a lengthy pre-story or a lengthy after story or yada yada yada, you know, that that didn't necessarily exist. You know, it it just it was Star Wars. And this is what the movie was. So maybe George Lucas in his head, you know, like had these other backstories and he didn't know it was gonna be a success, so he doesn't include it and blah 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 blah. i'm not interested in that what is the good film and what he told within this movie within its own framework of what you've got if this movie was a failure is you've got a really great freaking story where you don't necessarily need to have the villain be the father of your hero or the princess that we're trying to save is the sibling of our hero people don't necessarily always have to be related which i think is something that I think the the irony is one of the things that people love about this movie are the things that we don't necessarily know, and they appreciate that. And then when episode nine comes out and we find out about this, this hero and, and her lineage, people felt that was a cop-out. Like, oh, well, you know, they, they you don't have to make people related. And yet, in this film, you love the idea that Luke Skywalker is related to Darth Vader and Princess Leia, and that's one of the things that makes this movie successful. You love it. But then when you are introduced to a character and her lineage is from the the big bad of the whole franchise, people are kind of turned off by that. And I find that a little laughable or hypocritical. I don't know. But we've got a long way to go before we get to episode nine. The point that I'm trying to make is I think this is just a perfectly well done, self-contained unit and I think I think it's done very, very successfully. And to bring it back to Obi-Wan Kenobi, which is, I think, where this conversation went before I went on my fifth tangent tonight. And thank you, everybody. But I'm really excited. I love talking about about Star Wars. And we're now we're now in a movie that I'm like, OK, all right, I'm going to let my nerd freaking flag fly because I'm I'm ready. This is it. This is this is. I don't give a shit about the books. I'm sorry, listeners, that that you're a big Star Wars book fan. I don't care about the comics. I don't care. What I care about are the original three films, and specifically this film, Star Wars, and then Empire Strikes Back. Those, I enjoy the return. I enjoy Return of the Jedi. I do. It's maybe my third or fourth film within this franchise. But these two films just... From and maybe it's because of the fact that I I fancy myself a writer, or at least I I would like to believe in myself as a writer, and I think that they have the two strongest written stories within this franchise within within the entire franchise dialogue. And here's an example. Here we go. George Lucas showed showed that he could write good dialogue, or maybe it's just that, that no 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 I'm not going to give it all to the talent. I'm going to give it I'm going to give the credit to George Lucas. I think he wrote a great screenplay. It's his birthday. He he hit a freaking home run. It's his he birthday. Wrote a beautiful screenplay and had the right level of action and adventure and mystery and intrigue and created a new world. And 
The other thing that we haven't even brought up is the fact that this movie was different from every other science fiction movie, that everything takes place in the future. He wrote one that took place in the past. This is something completely different. We had not seen this. And again, this movie came out two years before I was born. When you mentioned to me an influence by uh, Joseph Campbell, or maybe if you didn't, they, but I think in a way, like if that was a hero of his, which I believe it is, he accomplished what, what his goal was. Uh, he, you did also speak one time about like the mythology he was going for. This world has become mythology and the, um, I think in a way, if you have kids and they're into Star Wars, you could kind of not say give them a guilt trip. You'd be like, what would Luke do? <laughs> you, know, <laughs> I, you know, we used to have the golden rule growing up. It's like, do unto others as you would do unto you. You know, now it's just like, I mean, what would Ray do? I mean, I don't think mm-hmm. Ray would go stealing that stuff, you know, like uh, it kind of does set up a, even a way to like teach kids how to be better, choose the right path to go down. Uh, yeah. So he, he, let's say this is, that's one of the great accomplishments of him and with Star Wars. I, I think it's okay for us to speak in a grand scheme of things because this is the beginning of Star Wars and everything a Star Wars has accomplished today has come of this film. So spoke earlier about uh last part about you know kind of a chicken and the egg what came first or star wars empire strikes back where i feel like empire strikes back might be the better movie but star wars is still the more important movie without without star wars there is no empire strikes back mm-hmm. now without empire strikes back maybe star wars doesn't go on to become the great film it is maybe it's the last starfighter or something along those lines which by the way is a is a fine film yeah. It, when did that come out? Not to, we'll take a little side trip, but I, I, I was thinking about it in, in the idea of Luke in the cockpit of the X-Wing. And mm-hmm. I felt like he, you know, there's a lot of shots of him in the cockpit, but I thought that was an 80s movie. This is 77 or maybe maybe that's a fair movie to compare budget wise or graphic or uh, I'm just let you go. You can let me go. Good night. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'd be interested to hear because you've seen it more recently than I have. Right. My my year and grant, you know, for the listeners that, that give a shit, I was born in 1979. And the year that I remember actually seeing things is the year 1984. And that is the year of Ghostbusters, uh, a movie, one of the uh, like the first movie that I really remember seeing in the movie theater. The first movie I ever saw in the drive-in was The Last Starfighter. And I remember that. I remember it. I remember because I, you know, at that point in 1984, I had already seen the original Star Wars. and I had seen Empire Strikes Back. And even at four, Empire Strikes Back was my favorite film. You know, like that, that was just Darth Vader, like taking uh, Han Solo's gun, you know, and, and then being introduced to Boba Fett, like all that shit just was like, it blew my mind because up until that point, every movie I, I had ever seen good wins and, and empire strikes back. Even as a four-year-old, I was able to like recognize, Oh, you, you can't always get your way. Some things aren't going to work out in your favor. And whether I'm, that makes me intelligent or a normal kid, I don't know. I don't no, know. I, well, and I think we'll touch over it over the next two films in a similar way. I feel like, where I was a kid, 
Return of the Jedi was more friendly to me as a four-year-old. So mm. I think that might be, if we look back, a generational gap thing, whereas like a lot of times people of your, yours were on or were more interested in Empire Strikes Back. You couldn't understand how the little brothers liked Return of the Jedi. Right. It was, it was just say this maybe for the, for the next two, but I do think be, that it that. Be, it could be a Gen X versus a millennial thing. I think that exists. Yeah, it could be. It could be. It's kind of one of those, it's, I was kind of thinking about this for the others, but it's like, had they never done any of the other Star Wars and it had only been those three, like we lived in a time as kids of, we had the complete Star Wars story and you could imagine anything else and the video games are reading, but like, you could imagine whatever we know, like there's so many films now. It's just like, you can't do that. Like yeah. they, the kids growing up now, they're in a way, there's so much, how many hours of footage are the kid is a kid born today going to have to go through to be caught up on the star Wars story. Right. But you know, that's, you know, we're talking a bit about empire. We're probably going to get to there pretty soon. Um, you brought up things you didn't like any other things uh, you didn't like about this film before we move on. No, no. The only things I don't like about this movie are the things that happened after the film was released. You know, if if we just look at this movie in in the bubble of the the VHS tape, I think I think it's I think it's a, a fine film, and I enjoy it, and I love I, I love this movie. I I still get the same shivers down my spine when um. Obi-Wan sacrifices himself to the greater good, you know, like I, I still, I still get that. I, I love the, the, um, the score when they're, when they're going through, uh, the Death Star and, you know, you're, everybody's running. I, I love the explosion of the, uh, of the rebel ship in the beginning, like those doors and like the stormtroopers were introduced to stormtroopers for the first time and they come out guns blazing and it's like who are these crazy people in these crazy white costumes and then they're led by this tall ass dude in this black costume that kind of looks like a frog you know darth vader's costume has kind of a little like frogish kind of uh look to it um but this movie visually is a force to be reckoned with like no pun intended you know i mean just i I think I'm going to stop myself because I could literally go on and on and on about the things I love about this movie. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of anything from the original release that I dislike about this movie, other than maybe I feel like a couple times it, it, it drags from, from a couple bits. I'm sure they were just trying to make him look like an ace fighter pilot, but I always felt like Luke's jacket looked a bit too baggy on him. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like at the award ceremony, it's just a bit too baggy. It just it kind of makes him not look cool. And then you get us, you know, like Leia definitely looks at Han, who's a man, and she looks at Luke. And then Luke, instead of looking at Leia, looks at R2, his best buddy, and just has a laugh. <laughs> you know, so um even if they weren't brother and sister, Luke was never getting Leia. Um uh, so that would probably be my only problem was like Luke's jacket, right? <laughs> now, um, I had a favorite memory. I was going to ask you about yours. I, I figure I'll tell you mine uh, just because I think it plays a big role in the, once again, timing. It, it just kind of occurred to me was a big part of when they were re-released was 
my dad and I went to go see every single one on opening night. Like we, on the third one, we were on a camping trip and, and I was the only kid who left the Boy Scout camp because he drove me to Round Rock to go watch the movie when it, when it returned to the Jedi open. And, you know, as a child growing up, uh, you know, that, that was a, you know, a great fun time and things like Han shooting first didn't bother me. I, don't, I didn't have care in the world cause I was young. I don't think the next generation is going to care. Mm-hmm. I think we're, we're going to start sounding like an old <laughs> music sounds better on vinyl. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it does. Yeah. Um, but the other part was, it, I think with George Lucas and the re-editing, cause he talks a lot about the, the story of good and evil is a lot about greed versus compassion or the terms he uses. And I don't always think that he, when he's doing the re-edits, it's about all financial gain. He's incredibly wealthy. I do think that a lot of times that he's trying to create the story he wants to tell and it is his story to tell. So I I think in a way, I'm going to give him a pass or I'm going to believe that he's, he's not doing, he's not changing the story, doing the edits because he's trying to make more money in the box office. That's a byproduct of it. What he's trying to do is tell the story in a a way or, you know, retest CGI and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And that also comes from my experience as a child going to the movies. And, And that's why we love the cinema. That's why we're listening to this hopefully. And, you know, cause we love the cinema. Um, anyways, that, that, that's my memories of, uh, going to see star Wars and, um, I was curious, curious about yours. Yeah. And you, you brought up a couple of things because you mentioned like the special editions and everything. And I think there, there, there should be some nuance to that. Um, now when it comes to original experience, I, I have no memory of my life where, Star Wars wasn't a part of it. I, I I don't remember the the first time that I saw Star Wars. I don't remember it because of the fact that my early my earliest memories go back and Star Wars is a part of it. My early my earliest Star Wars memory that I have is receiving the Millennium Falcon for you know Christmas and my parents were still married, so that was probably maybe 1982. You know, I would have been three years old, you know, and I remember getting the Millennium Falcon. And so even at three, you know, like, and I already knew what Star Wars was at, you know, at that Christmas. So it stands to reason, you know, two, you know, but I, I, I don't, I don't have memories from that. I, I remember being a kid. I remember having the VHS tapes and I remember watching it all the time. Um, you know, whether, uh, whether it was this one. And then when I finally got empire strikes back, or maybe we got them around the same time, I don't recall. I remember watching, I remember watching, uh, those films on VHS all the time. We, you know, uh, my father, they were early pioneers within like the, the VHS community because in Bermuda, like growing up in Bermuda, we didn't have cable television and in and cable television in those days anyway wouldn't have been a ton of channels, right? Even in like the early inception of cable wouldn't have been much. But in Bermuda, we had we had two channels then. You know, we had and they didn't run all day. You know, they it would have been maybe like 9 a.m. to 
10 p.m. or something like that, or or maybe till midnight or something like that. It really was kind of also like that scene in the original Poltergeist where you would get like the Star Spangled Banner and then it would like cut to like the snow, right? But if you had cable, you could you could turn the channel, you know, like your your network television, they, they shut down at like midnight. And that's how it was in Bermuda because we didn't have cable or anything like that. So what we did have, or what my father was an early pioneer of was, was VHS. So when that was rolled out, you know, he was consuming all that media. My father was a big fan of, uh, of film. My mom was as well. And so he would, you know, he would gather those tapes and things like that. So. And it makes sense on an Island to, to, to get that outside information. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, and it, it makes me think as well as, you know, people of your generation who just watch, you know, you're on an island, you only have so many VHSs, you and your friends are swapping them. You know, the deep is probably in high demand. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Like you might be able to trade the whole trilogy for it. But uh but I, I guess I remember kind of the days with five channels and nothing going on at night, or you get those lines of like blue, you know, it's like uh, multicolor lines, like you know, the full spectrum. I remember those days, but what I was going to get to is just, I can see how the, the people who are older than me, who Star Wars was such a big deal to their life, you know, just their favorite thing. When the movies were changed, they felt that they were wronged. Like it, it changed them because yeah. this, this is what we wanted. Now, me being younger, I don't have as many ties to once again, Han shooting first. It, it was so young to me that it, you know, um, it wasn't a big deal that Han shot first. Yeah. So I think, and this is great because now we'll, we'll type, uh, tie into those uh, special editions. So when the special editions came out in 90, Seven. 97, I was a, I was a senior in high school and I was really, really excited because when those were coming out, it was, it was dropped that George Lucas would be working on an actual prequel. We were going to be getting new information soon. You know, we'd be getting new films. Like we have been talking about this our entire lives. Oh my God. Well, what happens after, after return of the Jedi, what happens, you know, what was it like, when Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi were, you know, they were, they were pilots in the clone wars and what the hell is the clone wars and, you know, all the, all these things. So we were excited. And when we knew that there was a special edition and George Lucas was tinkering around, okay, he's going to introduce some even new revolutionary special effects. And this is going to be wild because I mean, it's star Wars and we, we saw what, the original star Wars was like, and the things that he had done. And he talked a really good game about, Oh, I wanted to do this, but the, the technology wasn't there. That was a phrase that he used to use all the time. The technology wasn't there. The technology wasn't there. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. So with the special editions, we were going to be getting the, getting that. So I remember seeing all three of those films because I think they were introduced one month apart. I think it was the summer. Yeah. They we could probably relook it up, but I think it was just like, you know, May, June, July, or maybe the other something like that. I think I was still in high school, so it might, but I can't, I can't uh, but I can't recall. I can't recall. I graduated in '97, but I can't re- recall. Um, but I remember seeing them. I just can't remember the months that they were. Mm. And I remember 
asking them and enjoying that, you know, enjoying them and like, Hey, look, you know, there's some wild new CG that's going on. And, and, and all of that is kind of neat and different and revolutionary. We're getting some new like computer generated special effects. And uh, some of the scenes were a little bit more complete, you know, so like some of the space battles that look better. We, we saw a, a slightly younger job of the hut but that was like what I think like the first like, mm, like groans in the, I remember being in the theater and we see a CGI job of the hut and it just didn't look right. One, he was substantially smaller than the job of the hut in return of the Jedi Two, the coloring was a little bit off. So it didn't look the same. And three, like the, the audio, like the sound of Jabba didn't quite match up so it was like uh or i don't i don't know about this is this what's gonna like the 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 following films are gonna look like so there was that that element of trepidation that that we had as it was like a collective groan but all in all we were mostly pleased with what was going on with with the first one because some of the things that they did with like the the death star battle was better the explosion was better things like that 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 was all great and then uh, Empire Strikes came. Uh, Empire Strike Back came out, and that was a little bit better. And most of us were kind of on board with that too. But then I think what he tinkered around with with Return of the Jedi is where where he lost everybody, you know. And and we already talked about Greedo, and there, I think I think initially people were just like, wait, 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 wait. Did Greedo just shoot? Did we see that? Did that happen? We weren't sure. But when Return of the Jedi came out, came out, and you had like this weird dance number in Jabba's palace, that that seems strange. And then just the ultimate like fuckery with the the uh the Ewok song at the end that was completely omitted, and then it was some other different thing, like different song entirely. It was just like he went too far. Like he went too far. Mm. He, he now changed the films. Uh-huh. He didn't just enhance the film. He now changed the film. And mm-hmm. and um, on the flip side, we should have saw it coming because in 1981 he changed the film from Star Wars into Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. You know, he he changed that idea. Um, and we should have saw the writing on the wall when he made Greedo shoot first, you know, he, he, he changed the movie. He didn't enhance the film. So that, that rubbed a generation wrong. Well, you brought me back to a point where in 97, I was 12. And, uh, and I do kind of remember hearing like these rumble lines, like there's a new one coming out and you didn't know if it was before or after. Uh, I think I've spoken before on one of the pods about having a trampoline is awesome especially in so i used to jump for hours and i would just imagine like maybe i'm before or after uh uh one or the other but once again as a 12 year old then you go and you watch these and they're redone and you see cool special effects from maybe uh the battle against the death star where you got more planes going on or the yellow team who you know um which the teams are going down like flies at this point (laughs) i mean uh, and scare if the blue team went down. I'm pretty sure the whole gold team's gone. Red team just took some hits. Uh, 
I don't know how many more colors there are, but the, the teams are going down. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I can remember being 12, you know, and 12 and 13 years old, just jumping on trampoline for hours and hours, just pretending or thinking like, man, what if it goes this way? Oh, what if it goes that way? Oh, what if it goes this way? And uh and that was the buildup, the two-year gap. And I kind of, I guess you just brought me back to, I kind of forgotten that when those movies were being released that summer, it was all like, everybody had the expectation and the excitement that they're going to be coming out. Finally, we're going to get the new Star Wars. For those, that summer, in those two years, you know, anybody who was a Star Wars fan, let alone somebody in their teens or a child, you know, our minds were all Star Wars. Uh you know, probably wouldn't surprise me if they've re brought up the toys or new collections of the toys and sky toy sales yeah. went skyrocketing. And they did. They they did. They um in the nineties, the nineties, they re-released the original Star Wars action figures. So the ones that you would have had a kid as a kid were were different. Well, there was a game, and I know we don't talk about the games too much, but there was a game called uh, uh, Shadows of the Empire. Ooh, for uh, 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 in sixty four, which mm-hmm. The game is what it is, but the N64 is what it is as well. Where, like, I think any kid in the 90s, the N64 is a revolutionary game, uh-huh. uh, a gaming type and stuff like that. Big game. Yeah, I've got that. The, I still have that Shadows yeah. of the Empire video game. Well, I still have some of the toys uh, that came from that game. <laughs> and once again, this these are toys that I bought that have Dash nothing to Rendar. do with it. Yeah, Dash Rendar. Yeah, I have a ship. I have him. I have Luke in a blue suit. These are all things I bought and purchased that have nothing to do with the main storyline. Right. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed playing with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a good time. Yeah, I had a good time too. In fact, I've had a really good time tonight. I think this is probably a good a good stopping point for this sure. evening because I think you know between this and Empire Strikes Back, I think we're gonna go a little bit back and forth between these uh, the, these films. But I think we're off to a good start. I think within this trilogy, I think I think this is a good start. And I think, you know, uh, for the best film of the trilogy, which is the next one, I think we're going to, I think we're going to, I think we're really going to excel, but I'm proud. I'm proud of the conversation. I think, I think we did. I think we've done a good job tonight. How do you feel about, do you think this has been a good conversation? Oh, I think it's been great. Good. I, if anybody could, I, the only thing I'd ever want is, if somebody who's still around could give me firsthand knowledge of what it was actually like to go see these movies in the cinema, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I can, I remember what it's like to go see him again. My father took me, I imagine, cause he, he enjoyed the cinema and it was our relationship. I, I'd be interested to hear what it was like to go on opening day with nobody in the theater and going to high school to tell your buddies about it. And and you, then all of a sudden you're the guy who's like, Oh, he knew about star Wars. Oh, Todd's cool. No, Todd knew about Star Wars, and we all went to go see it together. Like, uh, if if any of our listeners were old enough to to remember those times, but yeah, anyways, absolutely, I think that's a great call out. So, yeah, listeners, if you by chance saw the original Star Wars in the theater, we want to hear from you. What were your thoughts? Did you know it was going to be a, a a hit? What you know? What were people saying around the whatever you guys call the water cooler in 1977? What you know? What what did you think? You know, did this movie affect you? You know, did this movie blow your minds initially or, you know, what are your thoughts? So I, I would love to hear that as well, but 
again, for all the listeners that have uh, been tuning in for the past hour and a half or so that we've been chatting, thank you. Uh, it's always appreciated every episode that you do listen to. So please like, listen, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Read the the show notes, you know, go into your Apple app, click on like the more information, click on the actual episode and read some of these notes that we put in. I usually put in links of some of the things that are that we talk about during the, the podcast. So in this case, I'm going to try to include that SNL bit, other information, things from Rotten Tomatoes. So you, uh, you can see what the critics thought. It's really, really fun to read what some of the critics thought of this movie in 1977. By and large, this movie was still really, really appreciated even by the critics in 1977, which is, I think, kind of cool. Uh, John, were you about to say something? I'm sorry to me to catch you right when you were uh, having a sip of the, the Guinness. But again, thank the you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I was taking a sip of my cool Alec Guinness. Yeah, I, cool. I feel even. Oh man, so good, so good. You know, I'm I'm kind of saddened that you haven't really sang anything tonight. Hmm. Man, it's if only you were a big SNL fan and you you knew like Bill Murray, Star Wars, like lounge, uh, sure. lounge singers. Star Wars. We're watching Star Wars. Is that close enough? Something like, like that. It's something know, like they're that. They're on a Millennium Falcon. They're flying. To, it's talking about Star Wars. Getting, before my time. Before my. It's. Um, I probably just embarrassed myself, but no, no, hopefully. No, 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 no. Well, hopefully Bill just doesn't come up and put his hands over my eyes and says, surprise, don't ever impersonate me again. Uh, that, that'll be it. Uh, have a great summer. I look forward to talking to everybody again or hearing from people on Empire Strikes Back. Yep. We'll talk to you again next month on another Star Wars episode. And again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye.